Cultivating Place is made possible in part through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Caribbean-born, British-based writer and gardener Marshall Farrell is the author of Uprooting, From the Caribbean to the Countryside, Finding Home in an English Country Garden. A medical doctor by training, Marshall's work unflinchingly surveys her own journey to life in an English country garden, and along the way, the richness of the contributions of the African diaspora to our modern gardening world, contributions made willingly and unwillingly, seen and unseen, acknowledged and unacknowledged. Known as Afroliage Online, Marshall's writing, gardening story shared, and home deeply rooted into is both healing and reintegrating. In that way, that our gardens can be our very best preventative health care. Uprooting is powerfully personal and simultaneously universal. Marshall, it's been a great joy to follow your journey these past several years, since I think at least 2020. And I am so pleased to have you with me today on Cultivating Place. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I would love to have you introduce yourself maybe a little more personally and a little more specifically to listeners and maybe starting with how you see plants and the role or the importance they hold in your life, philosophically as well as pragmatically, Marshall? So I'm Marshall. I was born in Trinidad and Tobago in the Caribbean um, just over 40 years ago now and grew up there, had my whole childhood out there with my parents and my extended family. Extended family living is really common still out in the Caribbean, or certainly was when I was a child. And I grew up with my maternal grandparents who played a really big part in, in raising me. And then when I was 19, I left and came to England for university. I studied medicine, so I am a doctor. Um, I specialized in psychiatry and then subspecialized in psychotherapy. So my official mm. professional title is a bit of a mouthful, but um, that's what I've spent the last couple of decades of my life kind of training and doing. But as well as all of that, I'm a mother, which plays a huge role in, in my life um, and has been really very formative, I think, in shaping where I am now and more recently and I suppose in a kind of co-evolution with the writing of my book I, I became a gardener and discovered that I was a writer which I think is something that I've carried in me for a long time but never took seriously um, certainly not in all of my all in my adult life and that question about plants is such an interesting one, because when I first, you know, when I was writing the book to begin with, I was sort of like, well, they have this big, important role now, and they have this important role in my childhood. But I feel like there was this vast 
space in my early 20s or whatever where they didn't really matter at all they didn't feature in my life and then as I kind of sat and thought about it I realized that they've always been there there's always been a relationship with a key plant or two or a key plant-filled space that has always held me and so I think my relationship with them is a really maternal one Mm. they hold a role for me that is very much in that space of giving and so yeah I can thread my life through the plants I've known (laughs) or the plant spaces that I've been in relationship with which was only which was a conscious discovery that only came about through through the writing of this book just exactly how meaningful relationships with plants have been and the ways that, that they have always held and represented key relationships for me through time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When you say there is a mothering relationship, who is the mother and who is being Mm. mothered? Well, I think it goes both ways. So there's (laughs) both myself as the child um, and plants representing both my actual mother, but also my maternal grandmother who looked after me as my kind of primary carer. There was a bit in my very early childhood where my mum, she was still at university when she had me. And so she went back to finish her degree and that was on a different island. She was doing her degree in Jamaica and she went back to finish. And of course, in those days, you couldn't necessarily fly home for every break. (laughs) So she was gone for that year until the end of, of her academic year. And my grandmother looked after me. Um, and that was when I was a baby and just coming into language. And so the the title Mama was given to my maternal grandmother. And that's what I that's what I called her for the rest of my life. So she's a key maternal figure, as well as my mother, who then returned and was an absolutely devoted mother. But, you know, um, that's a kind of such a key part in the development of the psyche, as I now know. Right. But right. also there's me as the mother. Because having my children was a really transformative, a sort of a, a moment of catalyst for me that brought me yeah. back to a deep desire to be rooted in place. And I started to seek that through plants, through, through returning in a meaningful way to relationships with plants. So actually that mother-child relationship goes both ways. Right, from plants to humans and more than just one human to each of us, if we're very lucky. So you were born and raised in Trinidad, Tobago. You had this lovely family around you, mother, grandmothers. Your your book, in fact, is dedicated for our grandmothers. And I love the uh, the collective and universal resonance in that dedication. And you talk a little bit about the importance of plants there. You know, digging in just a little deeper, when you say that, what comes to mind? Like, other than your mother and your grandmother, who were the people and places and plants that grew you into a a woman, one who would immigrate to a different location for your adulthood, one who would choose medicine as her career, and then one who would discover 
the the writer gardener mother inside of her as this other expression of being a healer yeah i mean it really takes a village doesn't it it really does so there are there are so many people who've been part of my journey including i think ancestors who i've never met um but whose stories both the ones that were explicitly told and the ones that I think my childhood mind kind of filled the gaps and kind of, you know, made made up, imagined things from what I wasn't told. Um, I think they played a really imp- important role in Sydney in my migration. So I was born in Trinidad and Tobago, but I have a, I have a really mixed heritage. A lot of different people came from many different countries to make me who I am from people who were enslaved, who who were brought from the continent of Africa. And unfortunately, their stories are the ones I know the least about. There's there's not very much documentation at all to people who came from Portugal or China, probably following um, trade lines, you know, kind of lured by all the kind of trade that was happening in, in that part of the world you know, due to empire, um, as well as, you know, people from Europe, so people from England, from Scotland, from Ireland, which is where my surname comes from, Farrell is an Irish name, um, as well as an indigenous ancestors from the Caribbean. Sadly, when I was a child, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, who I've already mentioned, and who was such a key person in my childhood, and who she looked so strongly carib was the term that we used um then i don't think it's the preferred term now for the first peoples of the caribbean but she she had really strong features of those indigenous people but she used to really deny that she had any connection to that you know she was it was something that she was ashamed of um and so i learned pretty early on not to ask about it but with this whole with this sense of so many people coming from all these different places and it kind of left me with a bit of a sense of not being sure of where I was from um you know so Trinidad has a very mixed kind of population there's a mix of African Trinidadians Indian Trinidadians and then people from other various ethnic groups Chinese and Syrians and kind of all sorts that have kind of come together in Trinidad and occasionally tensions flare between the different ethnic ethnic groups and you know a sort of common phrase that I would kind of hair bandied about when I was a child um if people were having an argument on the street or whatever you'd hear people say go back where you come from um and I would always get this vision of my body being split into different parts and kind of floating away across the seas to different countries you know um leaving me with this sense of uncertainty of where did I come from and then even more recently in my sort of heritage you know people moved around a lot you know my dad went away for university as did my mom um lots of relatives emigrated to different places and you know I, I knew that my grandmother's parents had come from a different island and you know there was this real sense of, of constant movement and I knew that I would likely 
be expected to go away for university at some point as well. Um, and so, you know, there, there was this, this unsettledness that had kind of come down through, through my lineage, but also in terms of turning to plants, it would really be my, first my grandmother and then my mother, you know, my grandmother, she gardened. Um, a lot of it was ornamental. She was very into the kind of traditional English garden look you know and she grew roses in the caribbean heat which they it was not their preferred um it really wasn't their preferred climate and they struggled and they looked really sad and i was so baffled by her love of roses when i was a child and it was only when i came to england for university and properly met a rose in a climate that they enjoyed that i understood why she loved them you know i was like ah now I get it. Um, mm-hmm. But she gardened. But the other the thing that she also grew were herbs um, for, you know, different kind of ailments and things. And she always used to tell me that I ran too hot. My temperament was too hot and that I needed cooling, which meant these bitter tasting herbs of one kind or another. And I remember aloes particularly vividly. Aloes waters are really bitter and un- unpleasant, but I would be given that from time to time. And I was so dismissive, actually, of that when I was when I was a child. I sort of thought, oh, this was just kind of superstition or wives' tales. And now I look back, you know, with a bit more medical knowledge and a little tiny bit of knowledge of herbalism, and think, gosh, she really knew her stuff. <laughs> you know, she had she had held on to to quite yeah. a lot of quite a lot of knowledge, actually. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Marshall Farrell is the author of Uprooting, From the Caribbean to the Countryside, Finding Home in an English Country Garden. We'll be right back after a quick break to Marshall's garden life story. Stay with us. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Caddo Shaw Foundation funds initiatives that empower women and help preserve the planet through the intersection of environmental advocacy, social justice, and creativity. Hey, it's Jennifer. You know, the ideas of home are recurring in our conversations with gardeners and growers everywhere, aren't they? I love when Marcel recognizes that for her, she was never looking for just a house-based home, but a garden home. I think this is a recognized or at least semi-consciously felt instinct for those of us who are lucky enough to be called to the garden by the garden, for the garden and or environment, and her abundance of generous plants. At this time of year, the concepts of home run emotional and deep. Of course, at this moment in our world, the idea and the ideals of home and homelands also include violence and pain and war and acts of great inhumanity as well. As I read Marshall's Uprooting, I was reminded that the world has always had large doses of both homecoming and home ground seeking. 
What can we do? There is not just one answer, of course, but I think that in accessing our own humanity and compassion through our own feelings and needs for home ground, perhaps we can simply ask, what makes me feel at home? How can we then help others near or far meet these needs for home too? What was it Ram Dass said? We are all just walking each other home. And the quieter we become, the more we can hear. These seem like worthy activities and interrogations for all of us in and out of the garden as we tend towards the long, dark quiet of the solstice week ahead. We're back now to our conversation with gardener and writer Marcel Farrell, the author of Uprooting, From the Caribbean to the Countryside, Finding Home in an English Country Garden. Marcel's writing is deeply rooted in her own lived and ancestral experiences as a Black woman trying to find and to grow her home in this gardened world. As we come back, Marcel continues sharing about the people who grew her into a doctor, a gardener, and a skilled storyteller. Really, I was very lucky in my psychotherapy specialty training. I had this pair of consultants who kind of guided me through many years. It took me almost seven years to do what's theoretically a three-year chronological training, but I did it very part time because I had two children during right. that during that time, um, and I actually saw the extended chronology of my training as a as a boon because <laughs> I got to spend more time with these wonderful people, and they were a married couple actually, which is um, not that common. But so no. I had a sort yeah. of mother and father kind of guiding the kind of you know different aspects of my of my training as I as I grew to be as I grew to be a therapist. And so all of these different kind of people have sort of come to come together, but also I think plants themselves. Um, you know, when I look back to my early childhood, almost all of my memories are of being outdoors. And there are a couple of locations in particular in my, in my very first garden was a house we lived in with my maternal grandparents. And, you know, there was a mango tree in the back backyard we called it that I would spend a lot of time up <laughs> in the kind of branches of this tree um and then there was a an exora hedge that my grandma had growing in the front yard and I had a little den in <clears> there <throat> and I would be in there kind of mixing different fairy potions and playing all sorts of magical games really right, right. um and so those two plants and the kind of places within those plants really kind of held me and I think really shaped my idea of what was safe you know and of what felt like a place that felt safe and a place itself that felt free and that became my idea of home I think and so like that went with me when I emigrated to the UK I was lucky enough to live in a town that had a botanic garden and that had tropical glasshouses 
And I remember that first winter, you know, kind of discovering that. And I would go and sit in the tropical glass houses when kind of homesickness just got too much <laughs> for me. And they just, they smelt and felt like home, the humidity and something uh-huh. about this the <laughs> smell of the loamy soil and, you know, the kind of uh-huh. warmth and the warmth dripping down the walls of the, of the glass houses. And, you know, I would, it would just feel so much like, like home. And again, that kind of safe space where I could kind of freely freely be myself you know and not not be what not be worrying about accents and (laughs) whether people could understand what I was saying or or anything like that um so really a mix of of people but also also plants really right so how old were you when you emigrated and did you do your your training for your medical uh field in uh, the Caribbean or in the United Kingdom? So I was 19 when I emigrated. I took Mm -hmm. a gap year between the end of secondary school and coming to university. Um, And so I did my medical training here in the UK. Um, And that was very much a sense of, I think, something a bit sad that we carry about ourselves in the Caribbean, um, which is a real hangover from colonialism I think you know an idea that we are less than and that our schools are less than our training is less than you know and um I was very bright very kind of academically gifted and so I think there was this idea that to kind of make the best of my potential I would have to go elsewhere I'd have to go overseas to study um and I was very lucky and I got a scholarship and came to Cambridge um, for the kind of undergraduate bit of my medical degree and then over to Oxford for the clinical bit of my medical degree. Um, So that's where I kind of spent the first six years of my life in the UK, which is not at all like normal life in England. (laughs) Both of those places (laughs) are are very special bubbles. Yes. Um, (laughs) And I was aware of that and kind of you know, was resolved to make the most of it and to kind of get get the best from the experience, I suppose. Um, but I met my husband when I was at Oxford. He He's also a doctor. And I met him there and fell in love yeah. because I hadn't been intending to stay. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, again, I, I'm that sort of very, you know, I thought I would move around quite a bit, actually. Um, but I fell in love and that was the first root that I I put down yeah the little radical that goes and then everything shoots off from there exactly so many of the themes that you have just uh walked us through um in a very nicely guided way the idea of a conceptual understanding of yourself and your lineage as being from many places, not just one place. And this idea of of feeling split or unrooted. And, you know, it I think it speaks to uh, a great many humans in this time of so much diaspora. Uh, mm. that is multi-layered and multi-generational, uh, that it is hard for, for many people to say where they come from. But to have at least knowledge of 
a handful of the places you come from and a connection to those places through your living family members. And this is something you explore throughout the book is, is gaining greater understanding of your the histories of your people. Tell us about this moment where, and your ability to think analytically and uh, look at the the psychology and psychological effects of many of these themes collectively and individually um, comes through so brilliantly in the book. After all of that work, tell us about the moment where you decide you need to actually take a slightly different expression and pathway in your life that leads you away from clinical medicine and into this new chapter of life as a mother, as a wife, as a gardener, and then Ooh. as a writer, Marshall, because it's a, it's a major, um, what do we call it? It's a major pupation uh, along the path of your life cycle here. It is. And I like that you call it a pupation, actually, because it felt very sudden, I think, certainly to people looking on at our lives. Um, you know, I had been going through training. I got to the apex of my training. I was working as a consultant. And you kind of think, hurrah, like you've arrived. Right, she did it. Right. <laughs> and this is going to be your path for, you know, un until you retire. Like you've worked so hard to get here. But actually, I had been in a space of a kind of liminal space of really thinking through and wondering about, you know, what was the right life for me, for us? Because this was really very much brought into being by becoming a mother and consciously realizing at that point how unsettled and how unrooted I had been and how where, where I thought that I was okay with that, I it didn't it no longer felt okay when i had children um i felt this really deep pull to settle down and put down roots for them and so it had been actually a number of years of of reading and exploring and therapy and <laughs> um you know conversation with my husband and you know really kind of thinking things through and then in the way that life does sometimes a number of events kind of happened and you know serendipity and things all kind of lined up all together and this pathway appeared you know there was a job offer for him there was the house that we could move into it was all they all wanted it you know it was all meant to happen very quickly and so within two months I had given up my career um we had relocated from a tiny house in a city with no outdoor space to a kind of wonky cottage in the countryside with um more of a garden than i've ever had um certainly in this country before and you know everything about our life felt completely different and I, at that point in time, I thought, well, this is going to be, this is going to be brief. I'm going to take a few months out. I was quite burnt out. Um, the NHS is a wonderful and a remarkable thing. And I, I had trained and was working in the NHS, but it's under a huge strain at the minute. Um, 
deeply underfunded in all sorts of ways and mental health is a real Cinderella service and and trying to be a good therapist in a service that was constantly being undermined while also trying to be a good mother to two young children had really taken a toll um and so I thought I'll take a break I'll settle the kids in I'll support my husband while he gets used to his new job we'll get used to this new place that we'd move we took we took a real punt on it you know we didn't really know the area we just knew we were moving a bit closer to family to his family but that was just before Christmas of 2019 and then the pandemic <laughs> happened <laughs> um yes and he was on the front line and for lots of different reasons um we didn't have any available childcare for me to also return to the front line and so I was at home with my children, which is a which is a choice that I had made. But suddenly right. I realized, oh, this is going to go on for right. a lot longer with a lot less support than I had than I had thought. And it kind of felt in a way as though all we then had was this garden, which I felt so lucky to have because I felt so very aware of the space that we had left, you know, a tiny house in a city with no outdoor space and two young, energetic children, that how much of a disaster it would have felt to have been there had we right. not taken this chance and moved when we did. Right, right. So it really felt like we were meant to be here um, at this moment in time. And I just felt really drawn back outdoors. Um, I felt like it, I was gardening. I, t I started gardening and it felt like I was gardening for my life in a way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was gardening to keep myself sane. I was gardening to stave off the huge uncertainty and anxiety and, you know, terror of that time. And so that's really why I kind of started. But then as I spent time out there, I started to realize the really profound role that being in relationship with the garden, with the space, with the plants was having for me. And that it was really doing something that I had encountered in therapy before as a kind of concept in therapy. You know, it was, it was holding my mind. It was kind of roiling unformed mass of distressed emotions and allowing me to form coherent thoughts and a coherent narrative and to make sense of things so that the whole situation felt less mad. You know, I, I felt I could make sense of it. And so I began to write these things down. And I suppose, you know, again, writing the book had me look back on my relationship with writing. And actually, I've always been a writer. And um, when I was a teenager, I remember very vividly, I was at this point of choosing. So we studied in the English educational system, again, hangover of colonialism. And we had these, these exam points called O-levels and A-levels. I think now they call them GCSEs and then kind of advanced levels. So the O-levels, you, you kind of do them at 16. And I was choosing my A-level subjects, which are your kind of specialist subjects that you then will determine what you go on to do at university. And I really wanted to do um, English literature and uh, some languages, as well as biology and chemistry. And I wanted to do this kind of mashup 
of the biological and the humanities. And I was really strongly discouraged from doing that combination um, because I was really bright and people thought I was in the running for winning a scholarship. And at that point in time, you had to do kind of set combinations of subjects to get scholarships in these different categories. And I was a very compliant and obedient child. And I took the advice that was offered to me and kind of gave up on any thought of myself as a creative person, really, at that point. But of course, all the way along, I've always been interested in story and human story. And that's been the thing that's driven all the different choices that I made in my career pathway, understanding human stories more and more kind of deeply and trying to make sense of, of them. And I've always written, I've always written for myself, but I started sharing these, you know, my kind of putting things together online. And in that moment, I think it was an offering, really. I think it was, you know, I couldn't be with patience in the way that I knew how to be. And I thought, well, if I'm having these thoughts and these things that feel like insights, I feel I felt like I had to offer them somewhere. And really gratifyingly, people seemed to be, you know, they seemed to be helping other people. And so this whole, you know, writing the book evolved then very organically out of that, really. I'm Jennifer Jewell. This is Cultivating Place. Marshall Farrell is the author of Uprooting, From the Caribbean to the Countryside, Finding Home in an English Country Garden. We'll be right back after a quick break to more about her process and her hopes for the work of this book. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer again. Okay, so this is a final call for anyone listening to the podcast out there that wants to be in the drawing for a gift code to the audio version of What We Sew. The only way this podcast has grown in the flourishing, healthy, word-of-mouth way that it has grown with listeners and depended upon financial supporters is through all of you. It is through the very, very ordinary pathways of people sharing episodes with other people, of people commenting or posting in newsletters, email groups, and on social media about an episode that particularly resonated with them, or what the weekly conversations add to their lives. It is by people posting about rating and writing reviews for cultivating place in places like Instagram, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and wherever else people post and write reviews. I have five gift codes to download the audio version of What We Sew to send out to five of you. For anyone that is called to write a review in any of these places, to make a Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn post about why cultivating place matters to you, and you tag me, cultivating underscore place, and send me a screenshot of that post, rating, or review, and I'll add your name to the hat. 
And then on December 21st, the blessed winter solstice itself, I will draw five names and I will send those five people a gift code to the audio version read by me of What We Sow. As always, thank you for helping me grow along. We're back now to our conversation with Marcel Farrell, gardener, writer, author of Uprooting, From the Caribbean to the Countryside, Finding Home in an English Country Garden. Throughout the book, Marcel explores what it means to be a Black woman in an English country garden and what she surveys both past, present, and hoped-for future in sharing this story forward. I mean, it was very rooted in a colonial hangover because really it was a sense of that I needed to do a safe career. Yeah. <laughs> um, which had to be a safe profession and that there was there would be something kind of deeply unsafe in going into the arts, you know, right. worry that I'd be sort of wasting my potential um, right. in a in a kind of career that might that probably wouldn't go anywhere. I think that right. was the fear that drove the advice that I was given. Yeah. And it I think there's fear, but there's also the desire to control. Because I think there is not only fear for the lack of financial stability or status that uh, a more creative journey takes us on, but there is fear of the non-compliance, the uncontrollability of the the creative. Mm. So we get to this point, you discover, I mean, you had already been a gardener. You had already recognized the importance of plants and how they spoke to you of place, of people you loved, like your grandmother, like your mother, like home, being in this botanic garden. You start out in the book on on this journey where you have you are waking up for the first time in the dreamlike state of being in this new house, this new place um, with your family. And ultimately, you write the book over the course, I'm guessing, of, of several years, but it encapsulates the first three growing years of your time in this exact place um, and how you grow the land, you grow your family, but you yourself are grown through it. And this is very much a genre of of garden writing and memoirs that that dates back ages. You you add so beautifully to it, almost like the next generation of Jamaica Kincaid's My Garden Book. Uh, oh, thank you. Ah, uh, well. I, I just, I couldn't not, I mean, I remember reading that when I was a young mother uh, and be, having my whole garden life blown open. And you really take us to this next step of like, what does it mean to be uh, a, a, a brown woman, a smart woman, a career woman who then makes these different choices and what do you learn and, and what can you teach us in the learning? Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful, complex, rich gift of a book. And you 
organize it in this gorgeous way around the seasons of a plant's life. And within those stages, you give us the stories of plants. Tell us about this structure a little bit, uh, Marshall, and and why it was important to include both of these levels. Yeah, I mean, the structure of the book just kind of felt really self-evident. When I first started writing the book, I, I had I've always carried the sense that the book is a has been co-authored by my garden. Ah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it grew out, you know, the words grew out from my relationship with the, the soil and the plants in them. And that had I moved to any other garden, I might still have written because interestingly, I've only ever written when I've lived in a place that had a garden. So I think, you know, <laughs> the garden brings writing that, that as a creative element out of me. But had I moved to any other garden, I would not have written this story. You know, this story really came from this place. And so, you know, I played around with with all hanging the kind of structure. I, I always knew it was going to be a, a, a one year, I kind of snuck in two others at the end, kind of sneakily. But um, I knew it was going to be a year. I knew it was going to revolve around the seasons. And I, I sort of played around with different markers, kind of wondered about them. But they never felt right. And actually, it was always about the flowers. Um, and I think that emerges a bit from the sh- physical topography of our garden. So it's very steep. Right. And right. so very terraced. And so what that means, actually, is that as you're moving through the garden, up and down the layers of it, you tend to meet the flowers at face level a lot of the time, at eye level, mm. which is often not how we think of seeing flowers in what we think of as a kind of traditional garden. We kind of imagine a flat space and you, the human, above looking down on the flowers and the plants and the borders. And that's that's not the experience that you have in this space at all. The flowers are often at eye level. Um, and so you get to have this very different experience, a right. very kind of intimate experience with right. them, you know. And um, kind of an equality of, of like, yes. you know, like standing head to head with somebody and, um, yeah, face to face with somebody. Exactly. And so their stories felt as important as mine <laughs> um, in the book, really. And also, I think that in that the intimacy of that relationship kind of brought out all these other themes and ideas and memories and links that they then spoke to me of. And I really did want the book to speak at many different levels. I had, and I, all the way while I was writing it, I had the idea that I really wanted my unconscious to be speaking to the unconscious mind of the reader. Beautiful. There were so many deep resonances from your writing, for me, anyway. Yeah, yeah. and so that kind of really meant that, that, it, that there had to be many different layers in it, you know, and that if you wanted to read it at one layer of, you know, a woman moving to a different place and falling in love with a garden, well, you could do that. But actually, 
there aren't that many stories of a black Caribbean woman <laughs> um, being in a garden and falling in love with a space. So even at that level, it tells something different and and new i hope you know certainly in the uk there aren't many you know oh, very um, definitely yes but also i hoped that in exploring these different levels in myself and in my own mind and kind of being willing to go into these different layers of meaning and of memory and of time that actually that might allow the reader to do that for themselves as well um because I'm not so much interested in telling my own story as I would really hope that this allows people to explore their stories. And you do all this so gently, firmly, with research and with honest and sometimes hard interrogation of yourself, of the world around you, of our collective societal choices and pathways to hear. And Part of the 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 gentleness is the universal access point of you know our own stories with plants. You know that that to be able to talk about um, the fraught nature of colonialism and enslavement and diaspora and unrootedness in the world generally through the the story of a rose or uh, a helibor or whatever it might be is an access point that we we can all find our way into, I think. Yeah, I mean, I would certainly hope so. And, um, that you know, because the thing that guided me through the book is love, really. Yeah. Um, you know, I fell in love with each of those flowers. And it was it was exploring that loving relationship with them that I think allowed me to think about more painful things and more and more more difficult things yeah in a bearable way in a bearable way and you you talk about this very clearly at the end that in in many ways this is a search for home and in finding and not just finding but in growing your home by releasing some of your own hobbles you you have the the strength and the stability to to look at these hard things and to to make very intentional decisions and clearly anyone who has the great fortune and privilege to find home and make home and and operate from that strength i think recognizes how important it is to help support others in that exact same homecoming, if you will. And I think that speaks to um, your beautiful second dedication at the, the front of the book, All Flourishing is Mutual, uh, which is a quote by Robin Wall Kimmerer. There's so, I want to go through every single story. Like I want to talk about every single one of these plants and what you, what you bring to it and what you, you take from it and how you grow from there. Marshall, you know, from the, the salvia at the end to the wisteria and the Judas tree in the middle. It just, it's a beautiful story and um, very moving and, you know, as you know, I, I read a lot of these books. And so I do not say that lightly. 
Thank you. I mean, it means so much to hear you say this because I'm such a fan of your podcast. And, you know, I've read so many of the books that have come as recommendations from this podcast. Um, so it means a huge amount to hear that my words um, might take a place with some of these others that mean so much to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very definitely. Very definitely. When you look back at uh, this process and and what it has germinated you into uh, in your in your life as a, a writer and a gardener and you know a citizen of this planet, what do you think are some of the most important lessons to you as you look forward for for yourself, for your children, for us all? I think the most important lesson that you know, being in this place has definitely taught me. And this is quite personal, but I think it is something that probably resonates with lots of people, is the ability to belong to place, um, the ability to root and to, to, to grow a home, as you so beautifully put it. That was something that... I had not realized, but that I discovered in the course of living here and being in a relationship with this place was had been missing from me. And I think it's something that's missing from many of our lives, actually. You know, a, a remembering that we are, you know, so deeply interconnected with this the soil of this place <laughs> you know it, it literally forms who we are and we form it um and you know coming into kind of conscious realization of that has been life-changing for me um and certainly has a, has left me with the ability to feel as though because you know who knows what life will bring next you know the Mm. one thing that that pandemic year really taught me was that i have no idea what's going to happen next year (laughs) you know and and this is what the garden teaches me regularly right like yes yeah exactly who knows what next spring will be like what next summer will be like you know every season will be different um that leads us beautifully i think I would love to have you end with a reading, Marshall, uh, to give people a sense of of your beautiful use of language and um, the story you have offered out into the world. And I have sort of selected um, a bit from your epilogue. Uh, would you Would you be willing to read that for us? I would love to. It has taken me three years of living here, of loving our old, wonky house, of feeling deeply comforted by the way that every surface surrounding us when indoors is made of stone or wood, to realise that while I was looking for a home to root into, I was never looking for a house, but a garden. Memory is not in the past, but in the present. In our unconscious mind, there is no past or future tense. Everything happens in the perpetual now in which our lives are lived. Every time we remember an event, our brain reactivates the occurrences and treats them as if we are once again living through those moments in the present. 
but not as if. We are once again living through them in the present. Every remembering rewrites the story afresh. Sitting in the conservatory in the flickering dark, surrounded by layered images of myself. Somehow, when we walked around the space that first day, I had not seen how the place before me actually looked, but what it might be, what the garden might become with us here. Present sight overlain with the memory of the garden's future. I am lush and wild, no longer the dry, barren creature of our arrival. The garden had seen what I could become while living here. It had showed me what we could grow into together. But in this garden, uprooting the noxious weeds of colonialism that choked my life, I cleared fertile ground receptive to me and me receptive to it. And this mutual love allowed me to grow deep, strong roots at last. Who knows where we will find ourselves next year? Yet, along with the plants that have showed themselves to me and me to myself in my garden, I know that once rooted, I will thrive. I go out into the dark garden. I touch the earth. The earth touches me. The living hyphae on my skin join the living hyphae on the soil, my atoms melding into the matter that upholds me. I am a creature of this earth, and for a moment I feel a charge of love surge through me, down through my fingers, and back into my home. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today, Marshall. It has been such an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so very much for having me, Jennifer. It's been a joy. Marshall Farrell is a Caribbean-born, UK-based writer and gardener. Her first book, Uprooting from the Caribbean to the Countryside, Finding Home in an English Country Garden, was winner of the Nan Shepherd Prize for Underrepresented Voices in Nature Writing. Join us again next week when we share one more beautiful addition to the world of garden-based children's literature in conversation with educator and author Colin Pine. His title, The Garden Next Door, is an elegant parable beautifully illustrated by Tiffany Everett, reminding us all that our gardens are next door to someone, and maybe our gardens are even better when shared. That's next week, right here. Listen in. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by listeners just like you through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. Cultivating Place is also made possible through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, tech and web support from Angel Haracha, weekly show transcripts by Doulis Transcription, and communications associates Deanna Newpert and Matt Valiga. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public 
Radio Exchange. Tell your public radio station to find us there. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.